All right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Time Out Talk. We're your hosts, Raphael Singer. And Hunter Leon. And today we have a very special guest, my boy Andrew, big Sixers fan. Welcome welcome to Time Out Talk, Andrew. Hey, I'm glad to be here, guys. All right, so uh, if you guys are not aware, it is March right now, obviously. So let's talk about March Madness, because the tournament's been going on. Um, and there's been some crazy upsets, as there usually is. Uh, so I guess we'll start with this question, like, who do you guys think has had the biggest upset of the tournament so far? Yeah, and I'll let Andrew start with this one. I mean, it's got to be Princeton, right? There's no other. I mean, I mean, that's obviously the mathematical idea, but I mean, I can't even remember the last. I think Yale makes it some years, but it's like for the most part, I can remember the last time Princeton was in it. Like Ivy League teams are just like not really that that strain of of basketball for the for the the tournament. So, right. um, and they beat uh, Arizona first round, you know, good PAC 12 team mm-hmm. came out firing and now they're in the sweet 16, which is really impressive. So. Yeah, definitely. I would definitely say Princeton's up there, but for me, I, I feel like it's gotta be FDU, right? Second 16 seed being the first seed in history. And I feel like a lot of people had Purdue going pretty far, you know, that they, they got ED They're They're pretty well coached. Um, and I think, you know, they have such a great program there. FDU, like literally, they were they were not even the 16 seed. They were like in the play-in for the the tournament. Like I think that's the first time it's ever happened where um the team like plays in and then wins as a 16 seed. Uh, but I guess yeah. So like in terms of like overall tournament performance, like Princeton's still in it and they could make it to the uh to the Elite Eight as an Ivy League team, which would be crazy. Um, so yeah, like. I think it's it's kind of hard to say. You you have a pick, Hunter? Yeah, so I'm probably going to say that the as an individual game, the FDU game is definitely more impressive, just like you were saying, that 16 seed who wasn't even originally in the tournament uh, beating the one seed. Uh, but as a whole, obviously, Princeton's gone farther in the tournament. And they have a chance to upset Creighton, uh, which would be crazy. And obviously, Creighton's a six seed, so they knocked off Baylor. So this is just an entirely crazy March Madness tournament. Everyone's bracket is already messed up and we're not even you know into the elite eight yet so it's tough you know i had marquette winning it all and that that, that didn't work out i, I don't know about that i know i know i i had kansas last year though so but okay. going back going back to the question i think both of you had valid points but i'm gonna say from an individual game i'm gonna go with fdu all right that's fair uh andrew who do you who did you have winning it all this year uh Houston in my bracket that's doing the best. And the one that uh we're in a bracket in a group together, I have uh, uh Texas at uh, Texas. I see. So do you like I mean just from what you've seen thus far in the tournament, do you still think either Houston or Texas is gonna take it? Uh Texas has had two pretty convincing wins, so I like that. Um Houston kind of had that first round scare. Uh but I think they got the jitters out of the way. We'll have to see what happens, but I mean so far, it hasn't been that bad. There are definitely some other teams that I think could really contend for it, teams that people might count out. But, you know, it's un- it's uh, pretty conventional to go with the one seed, but it's probably the yeah. best bet. So, I'm curious what you guys make of Gonzaga this year. Obviously, they're a team that it feels like every year now is making it deep into the tournament um, and is always contending. So do you think they have a realistic shot at winning it all this year, or is it just not going to happen? Yeah, I think this is probably a tough year for Gonzaga. Their next match is UCLA. Uh, you know, it's historic, historically good uh, 
well-coached basketball team with a lot of talent. Um, I honestly, I'm not like, I couldn't name me the players on the UCLA team. Like, that's just not my thing. I'm not yeah. uh, a college basketball guy, but I, I don't see Gonzaga really getting past UCLA this year. Uh, but I think they're always going to be kind of in that mix, but never going to quite get there. I think that's just the story with them. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with that. I mean, I do think you got they got Mark Few is a great coach, an established coach. I think any any of those teams that have sort of like in a really established program. I saw some graphic. It was like like twelve of the teams that are left haven't won a championship before. You always have a leg up if if you've sort of been on that stage a bunch of times yeah. um so in that sense they do have at least experience wise some kind of advantage against a bunch of other teams but like you said they're playing ucla and the next round so that you know kind of goes at the window but i think they have you know as fair of a shot as anybody else who's a three seed or a four seed so yeah agreed and i think you know they got like i think age plays a really big factor in the tournament and they got, you know, Drew Timmy, senior. Um, and he's obviously has plenty of experience here. Um, he looks like he's about 30, so that's got to count for something as well. <laughs> um, and I'm just excited for this Gonzaga-UCLA game. Obviously, these two teams met a couple years back um, when, you know, my boy Johnny Juzang was still in UC- UCLA. Um, yeah, Rafa knows him. Rafa knows him real well. I do, I do. We were, <laughs> you know, we were like this back in high school, but... And, and obviously Jalen Suggs hit that crazy game winner. So I'm expecting this to be an electric game. And don't be surprised if Gonzaga makes it to the Final Four. That's what I had predicted. But I think Gonzaga is always a threat to make it deep. Um, but yeah, Hunter, you got any any additional thoughts on the, on the tournament thus far? Yeah, I've, I'm probably going to go ahead and have to say that I think Bama, although it pains me to say it, is going to win. Uh, I think they've had very, two very convincing wins and look like just very dominant. Even like I feel like compared to Houston, the 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 individual games they played this year, uh, they've had a harder schedule. I think they're probably the best team. They're definitely the best team left, and I think they can execute. It does pain me to say that as a bulldog, but you know, <laughs> got to give credit where credits due. Yeah, and I also think that Bama they do have the best like individual player left mm-hmm. in the tournament. Brandon Miller, certified top five pick in this year's draft. Um, so I think you know sometimes like single guys can win you games like that. So um, I think I I think it's gonna be Bama and Houston in the Natty, but I got Houston winning that one uh, just because that's what I predicted. So I gotta stick with it. That's fair. Bama's playing uh, SDSU, right? Yeah, so that's I think that's going to be a tough matchup for them. STSU has looked pretty good so far. Yeah, they've actually been playing. They've played past my uh, expectations. Pretty good team. I the only thing is with those, like you said, with individual players. I always want like if you really meet a team that has a great defense, like if someone knows how to really lock down a single player, and you're I do think Bama. I mean, part they're not just like Brandon Miller isn't the reason why they're so good. They have a great program. They got Jelly JQ over there, you know, yeah. cooking it up. But um, you just need to have a game plan, you know, to be able to swing the ball, get people open when your best guy is getting doubled all the time. So I think you should be able to do that pretty fine, though. No, I 100% agree. I think it's kind of wild, like, because me, I'm not the biggest college basketball fan, uh, mostly watching the NBA. But, like, watching the tournament, you obviously do, like, 
consume a lot of college basketball. And it's just kind of crazy how different the game is from the NBA mm -hmm. level. It's like, it's a lot sloppier game. Like players just make a bunch of careless mistakes that you just never see in the NBA. I mean, just think of the, like the Furman, the end of the Furman Virginia game where the guy literally just chucks the ball away that ends up losing them the game. Um, what do you guys like? I guess a lot of people like sort of criticize the modern NBA as being like soft and not playing a lot of defense and kind of praise college basketball as playing that way. Has this tournament sort of like proved that in a sense or like, what do you make of the whole college basketball versus NBA debate? Well, there's definitely a big difference. Um, I'd say the biggest thing and it just sort of is what it is, is college is, I feel like so much more uh, like team basketball. Yeah. And I think that's why, why, it might not even be the case because I think as individual players, anybody's in the NBA for the most part is a great defender. Obviously, you know, it's whatever top 0.1% of all basketball players. But when you watch a sport, like you watch college basketball, they're, they're constantly, you know, swinging the ball around the three point line. They're dumping it in, throwing it out. Like they're just looking for a great shot. You don't see a lot of guys that are uh, averaging like, 25 plus points a game like you do in the NBA, especially now it's like a high scoring league. You just got to be at least seven or eight players, probably more that are averaging plus 25. And that's just, I think when you play team basketball, team defense becomes more apparent. So mm -hmm. it's like, you know, say Joel Embiid cooks Jokic and it's like, Oh, Jokic is a terrible defender. Oh, well, uh, interesting a whole comparison. <laughs> Jokic as a whole, uh, the Nuggets as a whole, as a whole, are a good defensive team. It's just, but it doesn't really get highlighted as much as like, like Texas has really good defense. Xavier has really good defense. It's way easier to see when you have like these long possessions, and it's like teams are trying to find the right shot. So I don't know. I don't think there's any that much big of a difference in terms of real defense, but just the way it's portrayed. Mm. I th I think there's a big difference in. I think a lot of older players have talked about this, veterans in the NBA, and the way players think the game and the way they're taught to think the game today, and that they're not necessarily playing the game from an intellectual level as much as they were in the past. And I think a, a guy who comes to mind who's talked about this a lot is like a JJ Redick. Uh, I've even heard Andre Iguodala talk about this before and how they were taught to play basketball, and especially within the three-point era in the I'd say not even just the three point era, like going back to 2016. I'd say like post 20, like post COVID, even. I think there's been a noticeable difference and in increase in the amount of three point shooting, a different era of players who didn't grow up necessarily even watching LeBron. They grew up watching Steph Curry. That These are the guys who are coming into college now. So uh, I think a big part of that is going to be the way they think about the game. And like guys have talked about this. I'm trying to think who specifically said it. Uh, but. Uh, I want to say it was it was somebody who played with Chris Paul. It was a guard who played with Chris Paul. Uh, maybe in, okay. Oh, it was Shay. Shay was talking about it. He said um, that Chris Paul taught him what a three for two was. Like players know what a two for one is in the basketball game, but he didn't even think about a three for two. And I think a lot of these mistakes that we see in college basketball can also come down to this idea of players not necessarily thinking of the game as much as they do, or as much as they have in the past. That's a that's a valid point. I think that like just going back to the main question about like college basketball versus NBA, I think that in college basketball, coaches have so much more sway over like 
implementing a system and making players play within a system. You know, like Coach K, when he was coaching Duke, like he ran his system and he had his guys. So you could have star players. You could have your Zions. You could have J.J. Redick, for example. But they're playing within the system. And like in the NBA, it's more star driven. Like players have a lot more agency, a lot more autonomy in determining how their teams are going to play. So, for example, obviously, like you got to go with that outlier, like the exception to this or like the most extreme example, like LeBron. Everyone makes the jokes like Le Coach, Le GM, but it's kind of true. He really dominates that team and they all LeBron teams all play around LeBron, not around like whatever coach he has. The coach is almost a figurehead at a certain point. Um Right. And there are obviously uh, different rules. Um, I-, I wanted to ask one thing about like whenever I watch the tournament, one rule that's always interesting to me is like the idea of like the single bonus versus the double bonus. Do you guys like that or would you want to see it implemented in the in the league or what do you think? I'll let you take that one. Uh, I have to read what the single and double bonus are. <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty much that's like, why I said let him do. <laughs> Please en- enlighten me. It's like yeah. I forget the specific number of fouls, but if you foul some like a player five times in the NBA, uh, I think you go straight to the bonus where it's like any foul you get two free throws, right? Um, mm-hmm. But in college, you get into the single bonus, and I think it might oh, be- I know what you're talking about. You're talking about where they get one free throw, and if they make it, they get the second. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like oh, one. Okay, okay I-, I didn't realize there was a name for it, but yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I think it's, like, slight rules like that um, that make college basketball, like, interesting to watch because those, I feel mm-hmm. like, that that kind of makes games, like, closer toward the end because you're not just – 100%, getting, getting, yeah. In foul and, like, that's why we have so many, like, tight games in March Madness. Right. I think that would also get rid of a lot of foul baiting in the NBA. Yeah, mm-hmm. especially in the last, like, two minutes of basketball. It's, mm-hmm. like, it's it's gotten to a point, and I wouldn't be surprised if the NBA does want to do something like that because – it, like it becomes in those close games, it's like you have all this momentum leading up to it, and then the last fifty seconds or whatever, it just like grinds to a halt, and it's just like a slap on the wrist, and they get called, and the whole thing drags on for like five minutes, mm-hmm. and it's like that's not what play, people want to see. And it also, I think the one for one thing in a, in a first bonus would definitely affect the sway of a game because you go from you know as an NBA player if you, you make you get two free throws. I think most players probably shoot about 75 to 80% on average. Yeah. Better players probably shoot like 85. So that versus if you miss your first free throw, you get zero points if you don't rebound it. And then the team, other team gets possession. It could that also can... incentivize a lot more fouling of big men. Mm. True. Yeah. Can you imagine shoes, if, yeah. if Ben Simmons was only taking one free throw at a time, how many fouls they would – like, they would literally just put in the 15th man on the bench to go foul Ben Simmons six times. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That is a good point. So I think that, that there is a balance. And the NBA is a very experimental league, as we've seen the past few years. Adam Silver is a very experimental GM. So I'm sure, like, if the idea were to be presented to him, he would not shy away from trying it out for a year and seeing what happens. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of March Madness, last thing I'll say about this, like there was talks of the NBA implementing that mid-season tournament. I don't actually know what's happening with that, but mm-hmm. it would be interesting to see them kind of experiment with the college format with that kind of in-season tournament if that ever ends up happening. But enough college basketball talk unless anyone has any final thoughts. 
Um, let's start talking about the NBA. Last episode was a very Western-centric episode, and so what better time to talk about the Eastern Conference with a Philly native? And so I want to pose the, the question in this initially because historically I feel like we've kind of uh, – you know, glamorize the West as the better conference. But if you look at the the number of wins by team this year, you know, two only two teams in the entire league have 50 plus wins, and that's the Bucks and the Celtics. The Sixers are tied with the Nuggets right now with 48 um and have a better percentage. So can we say that the the East is better this year um as a conference? That's what I've always that's what I felt. I mean at least I mean I think the swaying point for a lot of people was when KD and Kyrie went over to the West, which mm-hmm. makes sense. I think if I think if KD had not gotten injured in like three games, then it would have been a different conversation. Mm-hmm. But it's true. Like you look at it, the East is just way more. I'd say the way I the way I describe it is like the West is so evenly spread. It's like I was thinking the other day. It's like whatever, like the eight seed and like the three seed or whatever, or in like less than five games of each other, right? Maybe like three and a half, something like that. It's the four seed, but yeah. Yeah. And then it's like in the East, I guess it's probably just like a steeper drop-off, but it's just very top-heavy. It's like Bucks, Celtics, which are lock contenders, Sixers, which I'd say are probably contenders at this point, mm-hmm. and then Cavs, young team, but they've been playing really, really well and have a great system and great coach. Knicks have been really hot. And then, like, Nets is where I'd probably cut it off as, like, a team that wouldn't really make a run. Whereas, like, in the West, all I really think about when I think about what feels some kind of the West is is Suns and Nuggets if KD comes back. Really? That's I don't it. really see, like you, the, see, like... you see the Nuggets coming out of the West? That's interesting. I mean, it's just, like, like who are they going to go up against? Like, the, the Warriors are – I think not Steph's back. That could definitely cause a problem. But I don't think I don't see the Grizzlies going anywhere. I don't see like the only you should gotta think about like how does a young team perform in the playoffs? If the Grizzlies were the two seed last year or whatever, they just greatly underperformed. That's just sort of how it is. I, I the Kings like they're yet to have real playoff experience. Grizzlies have had all this turmoil with John Morant and all this stuff and they're a young team as well. So yeah, Suns. And Nuggets are the only, and then like Mavericks, if they got their their stuff together, Lakers, if they make the play, and I'll I'll put them in there. But uh, yeah, who do you guys think? I respect for putting the Lakers in contention because who do you wait? So wait, who would you guys? Maybe, am I forgetting somebody? I mean, the, I would say the Clippers got to be up yes, there. Yes, the I mean, Clippers. Mm, oh yeah, I'd say it's, yeah. Well, man, if, they, if they had their full lineup by playoff time, yeah, I think they could beat any team in a seven game series if they play well enough. And also, I mean, Golden State, like, yes, they've had their woes, and we're going to talk about them in a sec and more depth here. But, like, I mean, you still – you got Steph, you have Clay, Draymond. Like, you can never really count those three out in the playoffs. They have to be in it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And then I, th- I think the, the outliers or what makes the West so tight as far as the top of the conference goes is you have two very young teams in the top three seeds being – the, the Grizzlies and the Kings, and I think that throws off the balance a little bit. And the East definitely has a it's more top heavy. And they have more, I guess, what you can consider like regular contenders. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the West has just as many contenders. It's just a lot more like hypothetical in like what if this happens based. Yeah, that's a good point. I just think like for the East, kind of like just coming back to this top heavy thing, 
I just kind of see it as a three-way race, if I'm being honest. Like, I think that the Cavs are just not quite there yet. I still think they're too young to make to make a deep run to, like, the finals. Um, And, yes, they do have Donovan Mitchell, and he's a stud, especially in the playoffs. But, you know, guys like Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, Darius Garland, Isaac Okoro, even Karis LeVert, these guys don't have a ton of experience in the playoffs. And so I think when you put them in, you know, the the conference finals or the second round against a, a more experienced team like the Bucks or the Celtics, yeah. I think that's where their inexperience is going to show. So for me, it's going to be the Bucks, the Celtics, or the Sixers. And as of right now, mm-hmm. sorry Andrew, it looks like the Bucks are coming out. I'm I'm taking the Bucks as well. Yeah. I've had the Bucks since the beginning of the season. If if I were a betting man, that's probably who I bet on. I can't lie, but I do think that any matchup of any of those teams would be a great series that would probably go to seven games. Mm-hmm. And I would love watching it. And hopefully I won't have to watch another heartbreaking second round exit this year. But we're going to yeah. see what happens. I would love to but see... I got confidence in my Sixers. Okay. I would love to see a first round rematch of the Hawks and the Sixers. Which I... Yes. That would be nice for you. Very nice. <laughs> considering the, the Hawks are not uh, doing Hopefully great. it would be a walk in the park. But I really can't. <laughs> I can't even say to be yeah. honest. But well, I, as of right I, now, I you're facing against the Brooklyn Nets. Which, that's a tough one. Really tough. Yeah. I, I, the hope is that any first round matchup would be like a, like a five game series. That's what I... I would also love to play the Knicks. I think that'd be a great, like a fun series to watch. hundred percent. Yeah. Considering they're kind of historic rivals. I would, I think yeah. it'd be funny to see the Sixers and the Nets and see uh, Ben Simmons just turn up like five <laughs> yeah, plus every game. And then the Nets upset the Sixers. I haven't even met, is he even playing right now? He's I, not, right? Yeah. I think he's like on the bench. I just think he's getting limited minutes. I think they're, he's falling out of the rotation. But watch Ben Simmons drop like, like 50, 40, 90 on them. <laughs> and I go crazy. But, uh, but... Chip on his shoulder. I'm sorry, honey, you want to go? Yeah, I was just going to move on to talking about something. Also talking about this East-West, not like necessarily debate, but just c- comparing the two conferences a little bit. Who do you think are the best duos in the league? And since you're a, a Sixers fan, where do you rank James Harden and Joel Embiid among those? That's a really good question. I would say I would put, like I think of duos. Um, uh, well, okay, if you think about like just like the duos as compared to their teams, it's like by by team standards, you could do like JTJB are probably top two or three. The only reason I would put – I put in beating Harden super high is because – in traditional basketball terms, it's an unstoppable pick and roll duo, and Embiid is the uh, points leader and Harden's the assist leader. Mm. That's a that's everything you could want from a big man point guard tandem. And I'd probably say I'd put them at. I'm just trying to think of. I'll um, give you some duos, and you tell me where you yeah, how, yeah, how yeah, they rank. Yeah. yeah. So let's go with Kawhi and Paul George. Assumed I'm healthy. Beating Harden. Assumed healthy. PG is just not who he was. Kawhi is that guy, but uh, how they don't really. I don't. I don't see them play off each other that well. To be honest. Mm-hmm. That's all. Yeah, how about Steph and Clay? Mm-hmm. And beating Harden. I mean, Steph is great. I mean, Steph's an all timer. Clay's. Kind of 
falling off the wagon a little bit. He's still a great player, but he's just he can't he doesn't have the shot that he used to. Um, he really can't create his own that well. Uh, yeah, I put him beating hard over them. KD and Devin Booker. That's that's my, an, that's my that's best duo one. in the league. That's my best duo in the league. That's what I was. That's what I was thinking. I'm, I, when I was thinking about top three, I was thinking them, JT, JB, and Embiid, Harden. Mm-hmm. I would probably put them above Actually, Embiid and Harden. What Luka about Kyrie and Luca? Yeah, I was gonna say Luca and Kyrie. Oh my gosh, there are. It's the era of duos, bro. It's crazy. There are so many good duos. I would. Wow. And we still have, have to okay, mention the LeBron. reason. I was gonna say we still have to mention yeah, LeBron, LeBron and AD. AD. Can't just take no, him out of the I conversation because they're not in the high standings. I agree with you. I, I do listen. I, I love the Lakers. I got no problem with the Lakers, and I think that when they play together and then AD is playing at full health, LeBron's playing at full health, they're easily like a top. I put them at like fourth, honestly, on the duo list. Maybe, maybe higher. Maybe oh, higher. But I can't put them above and be an artist. But Kyrie and Luca haven't been producing what I thought they were going to produce, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mads have kind of fallen out of the conversation a little bit. I mean, I, I have no doubt they could have a great playoff run and a lot of it's team construction. But um, as an individual duo, I would, I would say they have delivered as expected. It's just they're, they're not defensive-minded players. They're not going to play defense, and they've delivered on offense yeah. as expected, and they've been super efficient. Probably, I don't have numbers on this, my guess is either the most or like second most efficient duo in the league, uh, but they don't have defensive-minded teammates either when they lost Dorian Finney-Smith, and that's why they've also had one of the worst defenses in the league. Right, yeah, I forgot that. Yeah, I forgot he was out. Okay, so my, my ranking would go would go uh, KD and D-Book, JTJB, and then Embiid and Harden. But that's close, because Embiid's like playing at MVP level right now, and Harden's been – I think all star level. People don't agree with that, but yeah, um, yeah he's absolutely all star level. I don't think yeah. there's a debate on that. Can we can we <laughs> talk about James Harden real quick? I just want to like talk about him because I think for a while, like especially after Houston, we sort of started talking about James Harden as washed, right? Like when we saw him in Brooklyn, he just looked lazy. Um, he was turning the ball over like crazy. Didn't really have that step back anymore couldn't score uh, like it was easy anymore. It really looked like he had to work for his points, and he just couldn't put up the same numbers. Um, and when he came to Philly, kind of disappeared in the playoffs the first year, wasn't really that kind of player that we knew him to be. But now, you know, he's, like, leading the league in, in assists. Uh, Sixers look great and are look like they're legitimate contenders this year. So do we kind of owe James Harden an apology uh, in terms of calling him washed? I I would say so. Um, I never called him washed, but he did. Obviously, it was a steep, steep performance drop off from Houston to Brooklyn. But again, you got to just consider the fact that one day he's playing for Mike D'Antoni, where he is the offense, and that's just what they do. And then he's going and playing with two other like top 10, 15 players in the league. He's just not going to get the score opportunities that he used to. And he's James Harden, who led the league, had an MVP season with like 36 points per game, is the guy who's dishing the ball in that scenario. And then it's also he had Steve Nash as a coach. So, you know, say what you will. And then 
uh, you could say he disappeared in the playoffs a little bit. Um, chalk it up to not enough chemistry built, you know, their first year or whatever. Um, he did that. He, he has been playing very, very well. You said what? I said he did have that hamstring injury. Like, can't downplay that as well. Right. Right. Yeah. He That hammy's been bothering him. He just, uh, he might have just re injured his foot the other day, too, which I saw, which would not be good. Right. But, um, uh, so far, I mean, they've been they've been hot. They just lost to the Bulls the other day, which was terrible. But um, in double overtime, in double overtime, and the score was like one ten to one hundred eight or something. It was like super low. Mm-hmm. It was very odd, like a very and, odd performance. Yeah, the Bulls, they they're like on a crazy like twelve and two, I think, since adding Pat Bev. Really? Like, yeah, he's yes. like, since adding Pat Bev. Oh my! God. Did, did you see he scored like fourteen points straight for them? In <laughs> yeah, I did see that. You see what yeah. he said about LeBron? You see what he said about LeBron today? Uh, today, yeah. I didn't see what he said today. Or he said something about he said like, "Oh, in LA, like, like uh, talking about defense, like that LeBron would like take the reins and like coaching the young guys." He's like, "Oh, you need to go through LeBron and Russ and AD just to get to me to talk about defense." I'm like, "You know what? You're right, Pat. Bev. Who is LeBron to think think you know who who is LeBron to think that he he can just talk to kids like that over yeah. you?" Well, he also said that he requested a trade. So did he know. really? Yeah, oh, he, wow. he 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 said I requested a trade after having posted like to uh, like something with D'Lo being like welcome back to the Lake Show or something. He also said <laughs> like that's where this oh. guy Pat Bev who was interviewing him because he said today <laughs> he said he's got his own podcast, bro. Oh, he does. But he said today, I think on the podcast, he said that he doesn't have sex the night before game so he can keep his legs spread. <laughs> Like, oh my god, that's crazy! Yo, that's another thing we got to talk about. the The era of NBA player podcasts is getting yeah. a little out of hand. I'm not gonna lie; like, I that agree. should not be something I know about Patrick Beverly. You I know agree. what I mean? No, yeah, there's some good podcasts. Like, I like the Draymond. No, the Draymond podcast is good. Old yeah. Man in the Three is good, but JJ Reddick's retired, so that's all he does now. It's not like he goes after right. a game and re- reports. And he's also an ESPN analyst, so his whole job is now media. Exactly. Uh, but it's like some of know, these players like go and play a game the next day. And they're like talking about the stuff that goes on, but like, behind the scenes, it's like I right. feel like the, the NBA would have a problem with that at some point. And they got I um, don't know. like uh, what's his name? Paul George has a podcast now too. Um, does it really? It's called Podcast P. I'm not lying. Um, <laughs> and it's, I just, yeah, I actually do think that the amount of like the amount of podcasts in the NBA is kind of bad for the sport. I think that, you know, we're learning a little bit too much about these players. And I think it's good when we can only get kind of bits and pieces from interviews and stuff. I think it's good that players can have a platform, but I think that, you know, when it, it kind of decreases the importance of the games, when it's like after every single game, Draymond is going on there talking about the game on this podcast, you know, kind of remove some of the. Yeah. I don't know if you guys remember, but during the bubble, um, JaVale McGee had a YouTube, uh, YouTube channel where he'd report the daily life in the bubble. And I feel like that was honestly the start of like the podcasts, like before podcasts, it was like YouTube videos. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a very successful. And I remember a lot of people, I liked watching it because it was like, like, golfing in disney world like right. like random crap like that it's like why are you you're playing golf like you know like just like what do you guys do in the bubble because that people wanted to know right and now but could you imagine if like from every single team there were like two players like making videos about 
what they're doing in the bubble, no one would care. It would be too much information. You yeah, know everybody exactly. what everyone's doing. And Jimmy Butler, uh, you know, that whole story with Jimmy Butler and uh or Rachel, Rachel Nichols, Nichols. Every, yeah. everyone would know. It would it would be like you'd we'd have audio. We right. have, have CCTV <laughs> surveillance of it. Yeah, it was it was him and the and Matisse Thibel. Yeah. Pictures legend yeah. also had the crazy mm-hmm. vlogs where he filmed the video they were fishing with Ben Simmons and he tried to throw a fish back in the water and he missed the water. It was like literally a joke. <laughs> like the joke. It's like, oh, he couldn't hit the ocean if he was able from the beach. This dude literally like hit the the wood before it hit the water. I'm like, bro. Crazy. Yeah. Moving on, uh, we talked yeah. about Paul George. I want to talk about uh, injury. I don't know if you guys saw this. It was actually pretty gruesome. Uh, Paul George hyperextended his leg. Or that's what I'm assuming it was. I don't think the official report came out. But his knee inverted pretty far. Um, and I don't know if he'll be coming back this season because I don't know how long an injury like that lasts. And it's probably going to be a little while. Uh, I remember Giannis had an injury like this, and he was lucky and didn't. He wasn't down for long, but that's very right. rare. And Giannis is built like a tank. So what do you think this means for the Clippers, especially if he can't finish out the regular season, and then if he can't even be playing the postseason? What, what does this mean for their odds? I think that, uh, obviously, like, prayers out to Paul George. Like, we all know about the injury he had um, with his leg a couple – It's like it was a while ago now, but, like, you know, obviously – No, I don't think it was that long ago. What? the? No, I'm saying, like, that one where he broke his leg. Oh, the one where he broke his leg. Yeah, I'm yeah. saying like you know, on Team yeah. USA. Yeah, so that one I'm yeah, saying okay. one of the most gruesome injuries in NBA history. Um, and so for him to come back, like I saw in that game, he threw down like a 360 dunk, which is just kind of a miracle to go from basically snapping your leg in half to doing 360 dunks in an NBA game. Yeah. So I hope that it's not that serious. I think that without Paul George, I'm kind of concerned about the Clippers. And at a certain point, I think if the Clippers don't do anything in the playoffs this year, we got to start talking about them as like as big of a failed super team as the Nets even like, or as big of a failed duo. In fact, as the Nets, because Kawhi and Paul George haven't even sniffed the conference finals together. And they've played for what? Um, at this point, three or four years together. Like in- three years. Yeah. Yeah. No, so- it's been four. Has it really been four years already? Yeah, because 20 or yeah, yeah pandemic. I always felt like 2019, 2020, 2021, or 2020, wow. 2021, and then the past two years. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, is this crazy. is the fourth year. The, the, the furthest they've been to is the second round. And so obviously this is kind of out of their control, but the Clippers, like, we got to start changing the way we talk about them and, and stop talking about them as like, oh, they have all the pieces. You know, is this the year they make the run? And more like we talked about the Nets, like, you know, is this the failed super team? Like, who is to blame on this? What does this mean for Paul George? What does this mean for Kawhi? And that kind of thing. Um, But, yeah, obviously losing Paul George is really, really going to hurt their chances. And if he's out for the playoffs or, like, the foreseeable future, I don't see them going anywhere at all. I think it's interesting how, like, you mentioned um, Kyrie and KD, how people don't necessarily view Paul George and Kawhi in that same light when they did something very similar, like almost identical. So uh, I just want to mention that real quick. But Andrew, did you have a comment about what Rafa was saying with the injury? I mean, yeah, you're right. It's out. It's you know out of their hands. It's crazy. It's it's. I mean, I feel like it's happened like every year now, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do have uh, they do have good pieces 
it might just go down as a what if that's looking like what it's going to be. I don't know what their contract situation is, but um, Kawhi's I mean, if Kawhi's end healthy, of this year. end of this year, yeah. I mean, are, is Kawhi going to want to re-sign with the Clippers after this? Like, I, I don't. I wouldn't want to do it, but, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's a tough sitch, you know. I do think. I mean, you saw Kawhi, you know, sort of one man squatted his way to a championship, even with the injuries his opponents had. But um, so what's to say he couldn't go on a small run this this playoffs? But the PG news is pretty tough. Um, I will I, say, if I were Steve Ballmer, I would not be happy. I will say the Clippers do have a tough schedule relative to a lot of other teams. They play. Uh, OKC, who's been very good. I mean, like in the past very good. few games, they've been on a tear. Um, and with Jalen Williams also coming out as a potential rookie of the year candidate. Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. And then you also have, uh, they play uh, Memphis twice. Uh, they play Phoenix. Uh, they play the New Orleans twice, which is a little bit of a break, and they play the Lakers. And all those games, though, those are all teams fighting. All of those teams are fighting. Yeah. So, I mean, that's tough for the Clippers, especially without Paul George. We're going to have to see the weight that Paul or that Kawhi Leonard can handle because his numbers have been going up. But I think this will be the real test for his durability to see can he really handle this load being the only guy out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. I actually, like, now that you mentioned them, the Thunder, like, can we just talk about how they, how good they've been? Right now, they're, like, at 500 right now. They're the seventh seed. For a team that we thought would be, like, last in the standings, nobody expected them to do anything. Shea is, like, playing at an all-star level this year. I mean, he was an Um, Mm all-star. You know, Jalen Williams, like you said, he is so good. Like, he was really, like, a steal of the draft, if you think about it. Um, And for him to develop, Jalen Williams, alongside Chet Holmgren and all those other young pieces that they have – and the like 30 first round picks that Sam Presti has is at his disposal. I think that Thunder fans like have a lot to be optimistic about. Um, and we might be looking like in a few years at the Thunder being like one of the best teams in the NBA, maybe like in a couple of years, like that soon. Maybe the timeline is a lot this year. Uh, I could yeah, see them I agree in the playoffs. You. I mean, you they have a very it? easy schedule as well. Wait, they're yeah, playing. Uh, let me get this take real quick. You think they can do something this yeah, year? Yeah. In the Okay, no, I'm not saying like this year they can they can upset the team. I'm saying this year I think they could be in the playoffs, not just the play-in. Oh yeah, I yeah. think they could get to the. They're only half game back from the Warriors. Yeah, uh, but like actually, I'm a I'm gonna take that that take actually. I think if this OKC team plays the Sacramento Kings in the first round, they have a real shot of upsetting. Okay, man. The, okay, the Sacramento. No, just... I I agree with that. I agree. No, with that. look. That, let's say let's. The Kings are very likely going to say the three seed. They're a game and a half back of the Grizzlies, who are getting John Morant back, and they're four and a half games ahead of the Suns. So that's that's untouchable territory. So they're either going to be the two or the three seed. If OKC has that matchup, I, I no disrespect to Kings fans, no disrespect to the Kings. I actually do want to highlight the Kings a little bit. I think they could take them to seven, and I think they could win. I think mm-hmm. the best player on the court at any given time is probably De'Aaron Fox in that series, but I think Shea is a close second. Really? You think you think uh, Fox better than Shea? I think Fox... This might be a really hot take. 
should not get first place votes, should not get second place votes, but I can see a real oh. argument for De'Aaron Fox to get third place MVP votes. <laughs> what? Wow. Wow. That's a good, I mean, that's a hot take. But yeah, no, that's a hot take. No, I, I can I can envision a world where there's a media analyst who gives De'Aaron Fox, get De'Aaron Fox a third place MVP vote. He's the leading the league in clutch points okay. and efficiency. And efficient. That's incredible. This was totally out of left field. They're the three seed when people were probably expecting them to be in the play-in, maybe out of the playoff picture at all. Yeah. And and they're the most efficient offense in the NBA. Right. I, I, I think that's more of a testament to Mike Brown as the coach, who's going to win coach of the year almost like unanimously, I feel like. And to the, the rest of the team. Like, they have such a high-powered offense with Sabonis, Kevin Herter, Keegan Murray, all these guys. I think that look, the if you want to talk about MVP really quick, we could just pivot to this. I don't yeah. think that De'Aaron Fox deserves to be up there ahead of one of Giannis and Bead or Jokic. Like I think that's those. I'm are- not saying he deserves to. I'm saying realistically, I think there's a world where a few ESPN analysts give him the third place vote, even though he doesn't necessarily deserve it. Okay, it's not a bad take. You, you know how analysts are. Yeah. They they like stupid crap like that, and I see a world where De- there's an analyst out there going on first take with, you know, whoever and being like, Darren Fox should be the MVP. Why haven't we been talking about this? Sounds like Kendrick. You know, some... <laughs> yeah, probably. But, but okay. uh, let's talk about the MVP for real. So mm-hmm. let, let, let's talk about this. Is this a two or a three man race? I want to get your ta- thoughts on this, Andrew. It's a two man race, but Yogi Chain won the two men. Damn. And oh, my God. It's true. It's true. I and that's you know what that's not even me trying to be biased. If I, I do think that if I weren't a Sixers fan, I'd feel the same way. And I, I'm never like, I am a little jaded that Embiid. I think Embiid got it stolen last year, even though Jokic had a great season. Um, I just don't see how you can justify Embiid and Giannis are averaging like twelve more points than him, and. They also are two-way players. So I would be I would feel like a Giannis MVP is very justified. I can't see the case you say, oh, you know, he's average triple double. I I get it spins in my head at all times. Triple double, efficiency, value over replacement player, a raptor, like all I just yeah, I can't take it. It's just horrible. like and you know what? Like some of those stats definitely you know, they might hold some weight, but I just I, I can't see the case anymore. I, at least, at the very least, voter fatigue is going to hit. Even though that a lot of these voters tend to be the people that love to hear these stats, um, three in a row is hard to get. Um, and I mean, what's what's the case for him over either of those players? I mean, you said before Sixers have a better. They they're tied for wins, have a better record, uh, technically they're whatever like percentage wise, and Bucks are the best team in the NBA, and Giannis is leading them, um, even with all the injuries they sustained. So, uh, honestly, I think it's two man race. Jokic's not one of them. It's my that's, take, but Embiid's still take. my guy. All right, Rafa, what are your thoughts on that? Well, let me make the case. I personally am on the Joel Embiid trade. I've been converted by Andrew at lunchtime. He's been telling me about Embiid. <laughs> And honestly, like, I can't front. Like, I see Embiid do things a seven-footer should never be able to do. 
Um, I think you should watch this clip. It's Tim Legler and JJ Redick. It's like uh, in the Sixers Cavs game. Basically, Chetty Osman goes up like he's going for a layup. Mm-hmm. Jumping, and exactly what you're talking about. going to contest. And then basically, like, immediately springs back up when Chetty, like, passes around to Evan Mobley for the open dunk. And Joel Embiid just comes right back around, blocks it, leads to a fast break James Harden layup. And I think that it's like that two-way uh, element that I think pushes Embiid over the edge for me. But I also wouldn't be mad with Giannis. But with all that being said, let me tell you about Nikola Jokic, the three-time MVP. So he's averaging a 25-point triple-double, right? Incredible efficiency, like 63% from the field, damn near 40% from three. Um, and the, he's putting up better numbers now than he was in his past two MVP seasons. And ne- the before, the only knock on his game was that his team wasn't very high in the standings. Well, guess what? The Nuggets are the number one seed by a pretty good margin, too. Um, and so he's playing on the talk about that. He's talking about playing on the best team in the West, putting up the best numbers of his career. Why should he not be the MVP? I think it's a weak argument to say that a guy who uh, won MVP last year, if he averages better like stats than he did the year before, then that automatically makes him like an M- like the MVP again. Like I don't know. I think personally, again, that Embiid had a better individual season last year, even though it was really, really close. But it's like every year you hear, oh, my God, like historical season. And, yes, he's a valuable player in the fact that the system runs through him. And there's no doubt about that. If he was off the floor, it's a collection of players and it's not really a team. I have no, you know, I got no problem with that, with that statement. But his value, you talk about value replacement player, just in general, you take Embiid and Jokic off the court, the Nuggets are a better team. Mm, well, I don't know. That's not true. In, That's that yeah, is false. I, you know, one hundred percent. We're gonna raise that from the tape. We're raise that from the tape because James Harden's that guy. But um, Embiid's value on the court cannot be understated. Uh, the Bucks, I think, are the like the weakest argument from that point because Budenholzer is a great coach, um, and they do have a lot of great uh, pieces that just. Uh, they just seem to really get the best out of all those role players. It was really impressive. Um, uh, and the thing about um, – sorry, what were you just saying about the uh, – um, okay, oh, yeah, the 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 seeding stuff. So our guy, Kendrick Perkins, you know, he hopped on ESPN, and he was, he was wilding out. There's no doubt about that. You know, he said some stuff that was out of pocket and – I, I, I don't support any of the stuff that came in the second half of what he said, but the first half when he was talking about the goalposts being changed for the MVP award is absolutely true. Because when you're saying that last year, Yoke's team wasn't as good. And now this year is a lot better. That's a great case for MVP. Well, or the flip side of that last year Embiid's team had a better record and he dealt with arguably just as much injury and lineup issues maybe more than Jokic did. He had Ben Simmons holding out for half the season. Tyrese Maxey was out for a bunch of time. He had to integrate James Harden into the mix. For a while, he was the only player on the court that we could even consider in the echelon of an all-star. Everyone else, like, second-best player was probably 
Shake Milton or something for a while, like in like October. And then this year, you say the same thing. You know, they're highly seeded. They've won a lot of games. They'll probably win like 53, 54, 55 games, something like that. I don't know how many games are left. Um, but for every every uh, goalpost change, you want to call it seeding or stats or or value or or teammates. Um, I just find it very arbitrary. You know, like so many arguments can be made from that, and I think Embiid honestly takes the cake with a lot of those arguments if you were to break them down. But yeah, that's well, just me. Sorry, I'll, I was a ramble. I'll, I'll, oh, no, cool. that's totally fair. I'm gonna hop in here and give yeah. my take on this whole situation. It's tough. I, when I look at MVPs, I eliminate every other year. It doesn't matter to me. Those, those are past years. And I get this whole thing of voter fatigue and maybe the analysts don't look at the same ways I do. Yeah. I tried to put on the analyst hat when I was talking about the Aaron Fox, but we're taking that away right now. I'm just looking at it. Who had the best individual season. And I think we've gone a little too far with advanced stats and those all favor Jokic. That's true. And then, but you know, we also have the eye test. And of everyone, I say that favors more so Giannis and Joel Embiid. I think it, it favors both of them. Because Rafa, you were talking about like that that play with Seti Osman where he passed it to Evan Mobley. He Jan, or Embiid jumped and he jumped again and got the block. I know that play. And I think JJ Redick was saying like, who else in the league can make that play? Well, I think there's two other guys in the league who can make a play. Giannis can make that play, and Anthony Davis can make that play. Those are two only other players. This is a, this is him building the case for AD MVP right here. <laughs> <laughs> laying the groundwork. And that's why Demontis Sabonis is my MVP. No. <laughs> but um, uh, if you don't know, Andrew, I'm a big Demontis Sabonis lover. Always support Demontis Sabonis. But um, moving on, uh, I really do like Jokic and. Like, I try to avoid looking at the past two seasons. I think it boils down to me liking two-way players, and that is Joel Embiid and Giannis. And then when I look at their individual seasons, I have to say, okay, well, Giannis did miss some time, and in that time he missed, his team was definitely better. He is the, probably the defensive player in the year on this team in Brook Lopez, but he also has Chris Middleton, who has had a very underwhelming and injury-riddled season. So there's like a positive and a negative there. I look at Joel there, and then I look at Embiid, uh, and I say, well, James Harden's having a massive bounce-back season, and he's a, a a large reason that that Embiid's having some of the success he is because the the assist ratio that he's there. I think mm-hmm. it's the I forget the exact stat, but something like the most assist between any two individual players is James Harden to Joel Embiid. Yeah, it's like like blow out of the water, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think Embiid's definitely finding success in that, but you can't fault him for that. That's just a great duo. Yeah. Uh, And then they've probably had a more healthy season than the Bucks have had, Mm -hmm. and they're lower in the standings. So I like leaning towards the best player on the best team. And as of right now, that is Giannis Antetokounmpo. So I think we're all three split on who we think our MVP is. Because I'm gonna, I'm gonna go Giannis. I think of any of these I guys. I never said I wanted Jokic. I was just making the well, case. Well, okay. Well, you're saying we're we're gonna go if you want Jokic. We're gonna pretend you do. Okay. <laughs> but uh, sorry, Andrew. I'm gonna have to go with Giannis on this one because no, it's a respectable take. I, 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 I think I'm it's still very close. Fan. Right? It's like neck and neck, honestly, right now. Yeah. I'm always a big fan of best player on the best team. I think that's a very easy metric. Mm-hmm. And as long as that best player isn't like 
like a year where like remember that year where the Hawks were the one seed and it was like Paul Millsap and Kyle Korver in like Jeff T. Right. It's like no, yeah. Paul Millsap is not the MVP of the NBA. Like in the seasons where it's not like that, I think you can pretty much always give the MVP to the best player on the best team. You guys peeped the Sixers bowl score right now though. It was like twenty three to one just now. Wait, I just saw it. Oh, it's twenty three to five now. Twenty three to five, yeah. Oh my god! It was twenty three. I was like, I didn't want to interrupt. But I was like, this looks wrong. I'm like, what is going on? I've, <laughs> I've seen enough here and being MVP. I've seen enough. Yeah, but uh, I want to move on to talking about another big man for a little bit. Carl uh, Anthony Towns is making his return, and I want to talk about how that impacts the Western Conference standings. And do you think this helps them because, or do you think this hurts them because they've had no continuity and there's some struggles there with Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns working together? Currently, I believe they're sitting at, I want to say either the ninth seed. They're ninth, yeah. yeah. Ninth behind uh, Dallas, game and a half, or one game behind Dallas, half a game behind Dallas. Yeah, so they're also, I think, half a game out of the out of the play-in. So, like, it's they're half a game from the eighth seed, right. half a game from the, not even being in the play-in. So it's very narrow, very, very narrow, and you're trying to incorporate a star back into the lineup. Uh, I think, is Anthony Edwards out for the rest exactly. of the season or at least a few weeks yeah, yeah. so yeah so what do you think this means for the timberwolves i think I, i'll just say something real quick here and then you can jump in andrew i think that they they the timberwolves are just so happy to get some star power back you know they've been lacking offense uh i feel like the whole season and without anthony edwards you know who's going to be scoring the points in this team i saw the uh the knicks uh timberwolves game because julius yeah. randall had like 57. I just want to say Torian Prince went for 35 in that game. Yes, so, he did. So I'm eight of eight from three. That's yeah. not, that is not reproducible. So I think it's that's 12 of 13 from the field. <laughs> the Timberwolves have got to be lucky, like thanking their stars. Um, that cat's coming back. I don't think that the fit is great, but I think you know, you'll take star power any day of the week over fit. Um, even if it is like a little questionable. Yeah, it's true. He's definitely um, he's definitely a reliable scorer, which is something they seem to be missing out on, especially with uh, Edwards out. Um, and I'm just looking at this roster right now. It really it is a, a motley of mid players. Although they do have Mike Conley, who is an underrated playmaker. Um, uh, but it, 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 it a, is a good a Mike Conley hater. I like who him. is Rua Rafa. Rafa dis- dislikes Love. Mike Conley. What about Mike Conley? Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're just, we're, 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 like, Mike Conley has a wife and kids. (laughs) That's what they always do. It's like, anytime Russ had a bad game in LA, they would always post a picture of him with his, with his kids. And it's like, right. Russ a good guy. (laughs) This, the guy you're hating on? I don't care. West Brick. But nah, um, it is a good point. Uh, I think the continuity problems are very heightened because of what you said about, it being Rudy Gobert is the only other sort of like notable young name they have on the team right now. Um, like, like that is a big lineup issue to address, especially with like eight or like what, 10 games left in the season. Um, yeah. We're going to see how it plays out, but he is a guy for most of the time that can get you a bucket as long as he's open. Um, he can make his own shot. Uh the spacing is going to be interesting, but um, I think it definitely helps more than it hurts. Um, I don't think it's ever a bad thing to have a guy who he's probably averaging like 25 points a game last last season. So 
Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a good thing. Also, speaking yeah. of returns, just real quick, I just want to say John Morant is finally back for the Grizzlies. He's coming off the yeah. bench tonight um, against the Rockets. Over under. He's playing. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah, he's. Over under. Wow. 0.5 gritties hit if they win. <laughs> I'm smashing the over on that. Are you kidding me? Yeah, but um parade inside my city over under my... <laughs> <laughs> I guess I mean, he only says it once usually, so plus or minus point five guns pulled on security. Oh yeah, the laser pointers if they lose. Smashing the over. <laughs> Although honestly, they might have up security in the arena. Did you see they actually had that? It's like they were showing a video after the incident of like Jaron Jackson. They made him walk through a metal detector to go to the locker room or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but, but that. people are talking about that. That's normal. That happens at every NBA yeah, game. I exactly. don't think people realize that. They just, just decided to show the video from it, which is hilarious. <laughs> I just want to confirm. But yeah, what do you think of this uh this cat news, Hunter? Any thoughts? Yeah. Uh, I really think this is honestly more of a detriment than it helps. Like, yes, it helps to get back a star. You're, you're never going to say that it doesn't help. But this fit with Rudy Gobert and Kat has what we thought was going to be Twin Towers is obviously not natural because neither of these guys is a quick mover on their feet. So Rudy Gobert has to be in the paint, which makes it so Kat, Kat is just on the outside, right? And like, you can't have Kat guarding anybody mobile. And usually the, the four is somebody mobile. So I think it's just pretty tough. I think, especially with Anthony Edwards, my guess is they fall out of the playing picture. Mm. But it's tough. Yeah, no. you know, somebody's got to fall out. Yeah. Um. Sorry, below them again. I think Lakers will end up making it. When is what's LeBron's timeline? Not exactly certain, but they did confirm that he will be coming back this season. Okay. Like before the play and or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, it is a crapshoot. I, I am looking at it right now. 7 through through 12 is all within a game of each other. So, um, Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I'd say I'd say they might end up sliding. Um, Utah as well. I could see, I mean, New Orleans and Lakers are just two teams that know how to get it done, at least get their shot. So, yeah. But who knows? Yeah, it's hard to say. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a good place to wrap it up for the episode. Last thing, if though. You're... Last oh, thing. Okay, you got one more thing. Get, no, real quick, real quick. Take a take a prediction right now. Who is winning the NBA championship this year? Just take, take a stance on it. I'm not going for it. All right, honey, you go first. Hey, <laughs> baby, you're Los Angeles Lakers 2023 <laughs> NBA champs. Let's no, go. No. Let's <laughs> Milwaukee Bucks. Milwaukee. Milwaukee. I'm I'm gonna get Giannis for the second ring. Okay. What about you, Andrew? Again, if I were a betting man, I'd take Giannis out of Kumpo on the Bucks. But I'm not a betting man. I'm a disillusioned Sixers fan. So filled up the 76ers in my okay, 2023 okay. 20, NBA champions. All right, we got it on record here. And then... I give the Lakers like a good 65 percent chance of winning the title. Though. <laughs> 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 Well, I'm going to go with the Bucks here. I mean, it's a safe pick, but in my opinion, they just look like the best team all year. Um, but I think I think it's going to be the Eastern Conference this year. I think that whatever team makes it yeah. out. Um, but yeah, I think that's Agreed. a good place to call it. Thank you so much for coming on, Andrew. It was a pleasure. Um, it was great to be here, guys. Yeah, right. Thank you for coming.
Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you all next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Peace.